With thanks to Bailey's, this is the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. Celebrating women's writing, sharing our creativity, our voices and our perspectives, all while championing the very best fiction written by women around the world. I'm Zing Singh, your host for Season 2 of the Women's Prize podcast, coming to you every fortnight throughout 2020, our year of reading women. From Zadie Smith's White Teeth to Naomi Alderman's The Power, we're spotlighting all 24 Women's Prize winning books during this podcast series, with eight book club episodes in which our guests discuss three of the brilliant winning novels from past years. And we want you to join the conversation. Go to hashtag readingwomen on Twitter and Instagram to share your thoughts as you read along and head to the Women's Prize website at womensprizeforfiction.co.uk to learn all about the 24 books, plus lots more to set you off on your reading journey. Welcome back for another episode of Reading Women. We are still on lockdown and recording remotely and safely. So if you hear any minor issues with our sound quality, please forgive us. I am recording this from the inside of a bunch of pillows. I am joined today by some amazing guests. Anna James is a novelist and a journalist. Arlo Parks is a musician and poet from London. And Sophie McIntosh is a novelist and short story writer. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Hi, thank you. Hello. How has lockdown been treating you so far or post lockdown? I'm not quite sure what (laughs) stage we're in now. (laughs) Anna. Not too bad. I um, have had lots of deadlines to distract me, Uh, but it's... Yes, it's a, it's a strange time to be reading, writing, just living, isn't it? Arlo, how was it for you? I mean, I've been doing a lot of kind of press um, and interviews and stuff remotely and doing these live stream gigs, which are very, very strange, but, you know, trying to keep busy. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of remote, remote things as well. I had quite like a busy summer lined up, but it's sort of strange. It's all kind of gone online. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've been keeping busy. <laughs> Today's book club theme is family, so it's a wide topic that comes in many different shapes, forms and sizes, and to explore it, we're looking to the winners of the prize from 2005, 2006 and 2009. They were We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lionel Shriver, On Beauty by Zadie Smith, and Home by Marilyn Robinson. How did you guys find reading all three books together? Anna? I must admit, I had a kind of curious experience with these. There was only I'd only read We Need to Talk About Kevin previously. Um, it really, reading these three, it really made me interrogate and kind of analyse what I respond to in fiction as mm. none of them were kind of like, none of them are favourites. And I, I really enjoyed On Beauty. The other two didn't, like, don't connect with me. And that's not to say I thought they were bad books, particularly in the case of Home. I could absolutely like recognize the skill, but it, they, the stories didn't connect with me in the way that other fiction does. And it really was kind of an interesting experience kind of thinking about why I wasn't sort of responding to them and what I do respond to in fiction. Oh, mm. interesting. What about you, Arlo? Um, I mean, for me, it was it was a, a similar story. I mean, I really, really enjoyed On Beauty. I'd read um, White Teeth by Zadie Smith before, um, but you know, I, I was reading all of them for the first time, essentially. Um, and I, too, also really gravitated to On Beauty, I think, the way that it explored the themes of, like, race and sexuality and education. I found it very gripping. Um, but you're right. I As I was reading them, I did... As I was reading the other two books, you know, I found uh, value and skill in all of them, but I didn't feel as gripped. And you're right. I mean, I actually, you know, wrote a few notes about 
you know what it seemed I was connecting to and what I felt kind of alienated by so it was it was I learned more about myself as like a consumer of fiction I think through reading these these books that's so interesting I'm relieved that it that because that's really very much my experience as well Sophie what do you think I think I had a similar experience as a reader, but also as a writer, because I, I actually I read On Beauty, I'm going to need to talk about Kevin for the first time when I was a teenager. Mm. And, you know, I think at the time reading them, I was like, oh, you know, these are these are books that were in my shop and they're good and I enjoy them. And now it's kind of, especially with the Zadie Smith, I was just like, oh my God, this is just amazing. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> it, it, it was kind of so, it was familiar because I'd read it before, but I had just a lot, a lot more kind of appreciation for it. And so it was a kind of an interesting experience to revisit those two. And I really like Home as well by Marilyn Robinson. It's actually one um, I've been meaning to get to for a while and mm. I really, really liked it. I don't think I would have liked it so much as a teenager. I, like, I had to be older to appreciate it, I think. Mm. Mm. It's interesting because all these books are kind of from the 2000s and you're Mm. right I think a lot of people come to them when they're teenagers or even you know after they see a film adaptation like we need to talk about Kevin I think was adapted around the same time with Tilda Swinton in the lead character. Yeah I mean I'm personally I mean I'm 19 so I was coming Only 19? (laughs) Yeah I was coming to all the books um, through that teenage lens Mm -hmm. I guess you could say in a way Um, and you know a lot of themes like you know the idea of like motherhood and stuff was was interesting for me to see as somebody who's still you know quite young and hasn't really thought about that stuff that much um yeah and how have you guys been finding the experience of lockdown reading in general you know have have you kind of turned to books more are you finding it harder to get to grips with the book I've been finding it really hard to concentrate. Well, I find it really hard at the start and I've kind of got more into it. But at the beginning of lockdown, I was kind of like, oh, I'm going to have so much reading time. It was actually really hard to focus. Mm. Um, I found it to be exactly the same with me personally. I think I've gravitated more towards like shorter form essays just because like sitting down with a book when the whole world is like in chaos. I don't know. I think my mind just drifts and it's harder to kind of you know lock into the text for me personally yeah it's interesting because that's definitely been echoed by other guests on the podcast I really found that I was kind of gravitating to the two like two extremes and I was I've reread a lot of like favorite children's fiction for that kind of comfort feeling but then I've also found that I've had like a real craving for kind of like very like experimental kind of weird stuff that you just you can't read it unless you're super focused and sort of kind of forces you to get into that headspace so I've kind of been really kind of going to the two ends of the spectrum um, as a way of kind of getting into books. And what was your experience of kind of reading these three books one after the other? Do you think they spoke to each other? Like reading each one felt like quite a unique experience. I mean, I guess, you know, the topic of the podcast is families and it did kind of explore different facets of that. But to me, each one kind of spoke to me in a completely different way. I didn't I didn't feel like they were tethered together. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I think that it's interesting when you read when you read something with that kind of framework, with that context, and it's it's kind of hard to say, isn't it? If we if you just happen to have read them close to each other without knowing that we were going to be talking about ideas of home and family, would but I find my brain kind of looking for connections and and mm. links. But I think that's also interesting with on beauty because of course it's like a kind of it's a riff on um it's a riff on Howard's End, and I, I found that that really um changed how 
I kind of wish I didn't know that because I kept looking for like the parallels and being like, oh, well, that character represents that character. So that must mean that this is going to happen. And then when it didn't, um, I, I was I was too I was thinking too hard about that. And I think it's it's just that linked thing of when you're reading something with a context or a framework in mind, it does affect what you respond to and what you're looking for. I think they have really different feels as well. Like home is so quiet. And I read that one at the end mm-hmm. after um, reading, we talk about Kevin and then I read on beauty. And it, I mean, the feels are so distinct. Like we need to talk about Kevin is so kind of spiky and dark. And then on beauty, mm-hmm. I just find so kind of energizing and just like really fun. Like I just, every, every time I read it, I'm just like, mm-hmm. Zadie Smith is having such a good time writing this book. <laughs> I feel like it must have been really fun to write. Mm-hmm. And then, um and then home is obviously yeah so quiet and yeah it's 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 quite it's quite it's quite interesting reading them all in like tandem i know even though they are you know all about family in one way or another it just goes to show i think that everyone's idea of families and like families that appear in literature are so different even though the kind of the plots are very different but like it for me the real difference is the kind of yeah, the reading experience and what Sophie said, like I found on duty on beauty just such so much more of a kind of enjoyable, fun, gripping read. Well, we'll get to on beauty in a second, but I think we should start by talking about the first book, which is We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lionel Shriver. So this one in two thousand and five. And Sophie, I think you volunteered to give us a quick summary of the plot. Sure. Yeah. So we need to talk about Kevin is about the aftermath of a school shooting and it's narrated by the shooter's mother, Eva. Um, and she reflects on her ambivalence to parenthood. Um, she thinks about his childhood and whether she could have done anything differently. And it kind of thinks as well about kind of the nature of evil and nature versus nature versus nature. Um, and yeah, just what make what makes a killer, basically. What did you guys make of this one? I have a really, really complicated relationship with this book in the sense that I found it incredibly gripping to read. And I don't mm-hmm. I, I don't know how we feel about spoilers, but I'm just going to say that the end of the book made me wish I'd never read it. And I don't feel like I've ever got that. that there's a like, you know, there's obviously a very dark thing that happens near the end uh, that's revealed at the end. And I since I I've, when I first read that, however many years ago I don't feel like I've got that image out of my head ever since and I kind Mm. of wish I didn't have that image in my head but that but Mm. up until that point I found it you know it's a it's a hugely gripping interesting read but I I I don't know I found it almost gleefully dark at the end Mm. yeah I mean I I can agree with that I found it pretty pretty harrowing throughout i would say i mean right. it was actually i I'd, I'd, I'd seen um i'd seen i'd committed the sin of seeing the film before reading the book um so... <laughs> don't worry <laughs> um but yeah i mean as we were saying before i did you know I, I felt as i think it was was it sophie said it was it was a very kind of spiky read i felt like you know it was kind of um rather than you know for example when I was reading on beauty and I was just kind of enjoying the richness of it I think throughout reading we need to talk about Kevin I was just kind of like becoming more and more horrified in a way um (laughs) but you know that's not to say it was it was it was a very gripping read um and I think it was interesting um I think the use of Eva as the kind of um how would you how do you say it like a kind of dislikable protagonist was interesting like Mm. seeing the whole story unfold through her 
lens. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I found, I kind of found how unlikable we that Eva was made so clever because it just felt kind of, kind of meta because I suppose the whole way through we're meant to be, you know, we're not supposed to be sympathetic to her, but we kind of are. Mm. it kind of confused me because you know obviously we're meant to be rooting for her as a character but at the same time the whole book is kind of this exploration of is she a bad mother is it her fault and Mm. there's just not a clear answer by the end um yeah I found it like quite uncomfortable and uh, a lot of parts kind of felt provocative and I've read you know things about the book said oh it's courageous and it just made me think about the line between provocative and courageous like Mm. you know the idea is such a good point the mm. ideas about kind of motherhood and kind of articulating that th- that those ideas of like you know what if you are a bad mother actually what if motherhood isn't good you know babies are boring those are things I don't think I've really seen like articulated in a book before or since really mm. it's really interesting because I feel like in fiction and even in you know just regular journalism now there's a much more there's much more of a comfort in saying well you know motherhood can sometimes suck and mm. it's very trying and difficult but I think it's almost like Lionel Shriver took that kernel of a truth and just like went one hundred percent with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. I just think your your what you said about the line between courageous and provocative is really smart and complete. I think that really actually kind of sums up my experience of the book and that maybe tips a little bit over uh, into provocative more so than mm. my preference would be. There were bits that made me like mm. really uncomfortable and I was like am I supposed to feel uncomfortable because you know because she was obviously she was often snobbish she was racist and she was ableist and I was like are we meant to feel we, is this like part this is just part of the character so are we supposed to be kind of on her side like what's going on I don't know I found right. it difficult and mm. she's quite an unreliable narrator to be honest like mm. you know it's all told from her viewpoint and obviously she's got a vested interest in sort of divesting herself of responsibility for what eventually happens in the book or what's revealed yeah. to happen in the book I, I think that like there has to be a purpose doesn't there to making a reader feel uncomfortable and I think that mm. it, that is yeah what Sophie was saying is there a purpose behind it I think often there is but sometimes it does feel like it's really pushing that doesn't it and you kind of want to feel like mm. you know a writer is challenging you or kind of questioning you in a very in a purposeful way not just kind of for the sheer thrill of making you feel uncomfortable (laughs) I'm curious to know Arlo what you made of the book after you watched the film first and then you read the book um I mean I think you know I I in general um I feel like you know reading reading the book kind of it was interesting to see like the adaptation and then the kind of original text from which it had sprung from. I think, you know, for, for some reason, like reading the book and just kind of sitting there in my room, just going through it was just even more harrowing than watching the film. And I can't really quite explain that. I think, you know, what the thing about this book that I think made me ultimately kind of um, uncomfortable and also kind of disorientated was like that there was no one to kind of well it felt like there was just no one to to root for and the lines were so blurred the whole time that I was kind of I don't know it was yeah it was a lot it was a lot I'll say that I think you can probably tell I think we're more used now as well to kind of unlikable female characters and that's a thing Mm -hmm. and um, it made me think about kind of 
how how unlikable <laughs> do they have to be before we kind of start re- stop rooting for them I don't know it was yeah <laughs> yeah exactly it makes me think a lot and these two books can are probably just polar opposites of you know the difference in adaptation from tv and book of someone like Marianne from Normal People by Sally Rooney who is mm-hmm. established to be a really mm-hmm. unlikable person at school um, and then in I think in the tv show comes across as very likable um, which maybe slightly kind of departs from the book in that sense but you know mm-hmm the character of Eva is just unlikable both in the text and the film to me you know she's quite an irredeemable character that's really interesting because I think with Marianne and my reading of it was that she is presented as unlikable within the text but I didn't Mm. personally find her particularly unlikable whereas I think with Eva she's like unlikable within the text and unlikable kind of to a reader um Mm. it's just sort of universally hard to like um, whereas Marianne, I sort of was rooting for. It's interesting, isn't it? How people toy with likability and unlikability, especially mm. with female protagonists. I think sure. we talk about these things way more with female characters than we do with male characters. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, mm. in the context, sorry, just to go to home for a second, but in the context of like, unlikable characters, and I know Jack was like meant to be not likable or whatever, or kind of presented as like the bad character. And I was like, oh, I just really like him. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Like a male, <laughs> unlikable male characters who are likable. I know both the books are obviously doing different things with that, but um, I, I know I felt very naturally sympathetic to Jack and maybe a, a way I didn't feel to either. And I was That's like, is that so interesting? <laughs> because in, in Home, I felt like I was being told to like Jack and I, and I didn't. I had the complete opposite way around with Jack like I felt like the book wanted me to feel empathy for him and I found him very frustrating that's interesting well yeah. we'll let's talk about that when we get to home <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> no I love that everyone's drawing parallels between and reflections between the books but before we move on to the next book we've got to hear from broadcaster Jenny Murray now she was the chair of the judging panel in 2005 and she will tell us why we need to talk about Kevin was picked that year as the winner in spite of, or maybe because of, the dislikable Eva. I think every so often you pick up a book that absolutely knocks your socks off. And this book did that to me. Yes, that speaking the unspeakable, um, that we've all, you know, any woman, I think, who has had a life, has been an independent woman, uh, gets pregnant or even thinks about getting pregnant and thinks, oh, What impact is this going to have on me? What is this person who's growing inside me? What sort of person are they going to be? How am I going to cope with it? How am I going to look after this person? What sort of responsibility am I taking on? And she acknowledges that terrifying part, I think, of so many women's lives that we don't talk about. And she had lifted the lid on that question. Remember, you can join in the discussion by using the hashtag ReadingWomen. And our second book is On Beauty by Zadie Smith. And this novel won the prize back in 2006. It was her third book. And Arlo, I think you're going to give us a rundown of the story. Yeah, I mean, um, so it surrounds kind of two feuding families. Uh, One's based in, in England and one in the US. And it's kind of an exploration of how, I guess, the individuals within the family unit interact with each other in their environments and the main themes are kind of like uh i guess like race class sexuality and and education i guess that's how i sum it up how did you guys find this one 
I mean, it is wonderful, isn't it? She's just a wonderful writer. I feel like everyone universally liked this one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I would say I enjoyed the first half more than I enjoyed the second half. Um, and I don't know if that was my own fault for trying to like work it out as it were in terms of how it's end. And I also thought that um, the, the ending is, I felt really, I don't know, I felt like a lot of the experiences of reading, even though it's not sort of like plain sailing all the way through, there's lots of sad and difficult things that happen. I was, I found it hugely enjoyable for the most part, but I did end up feeling like, I feel like it got progressively more melancholy and I felt quite sad at the end mm. <laughs> in a sort of slightly unresolved way. Arlo, did you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, I agree with it. I think, you know, I really enjoyed this this one because it felt, um, I mean, the themes that I explored, I found quite interesting. I mean, especially, um, I, I mean, as like a black woman, I thought it was interesting, um, the relationship between like Levi and Carl and how he feels like, you know, Carl's blackness as it were is is more authentic than his and and you know the the idea of exploring identity within that but I do think as you say it does just kind of like spiral down into the end but in general I I found it really enjoyable um and I think I think you know if we're talking about um unlikable characters I mean I found um Howard super irritating (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah I enjoyed it a lot I think Zadie Smith wants Howard to be really unlikable. Mm, mm, definitely. I kind of like I, I felt I found like the process of what, of reading it almost like watching a play. Like I just I just like I love how all the pieces just seem to fit together so well. It just I don't know, it just it just works on so many levels. Mm. And I think Zadie Smith has this really unique ability of lining up all these characters quite a few of them in a lot of her books in many cases and they just kind of slot together perfectly and you just enjoy spending time with them yes yeah yeah and but even like the kind of the characters that are not super likable like kind of Zora is kind of a bit annoying mm. and I, I was and How, Howard is probably the most unlikable but there's something to like in all of them I think there's something there's a sort of tenderness that was missing for me from Eva's character for example mm. yeah tenderness is a really good word and they all they all feel very sort of real seems such like a simplistic word for using to talk about fictional characters but they do feel very authentic and real and you do you do almost feel like you're just kind of watching getting a window into kind of two families lives don't you rather than a kind of very like consciously created piece of fiction and I mean that hugely as a compliment Mm, I agree with that how did you feel about the way that the two families were depicted um in the book do you think that you know, the family relationships in one family were drawn a little bit more clearer and distinctly than the other? Or do you think that both families felt very realistic and true to life? I mean, I'm aware as well that, like, I don't have any experience with American academia and I couldn't tell you if that's okay. I certainly enjoyed kind of, enjoyed that kind of quite, what, satirical kind of look at that kind of community in a sort of small town, like a university town. Um, but I, I can't really comment on how realistic it is, but I certainly felt, I mean, I think that the, the Belsies are supposed to be the kind of main family, as it were, yeah. aren't they? Mm-hmm. So I think that you kind of, un, you get more nuance and detail as to all of the members of that character and the kids the more kind of operate in relation to that family. What about the friendship, you know, between the two wives? which I kind of find, you know, on reading back quite unusual in that I don't really know nowadays if you would 
seek out the friendship of someone from a diametrically opposed family unit to yours? I mean, there's a lot of discussion going on at the moment, isn't there, about how much use there is to engaging and conversing with people who have very opposite opinions to you. That's, I think, something that we're really grappling with a lot at the Mm. moment, if if there's value in that. I think there's like, I don't don't know, because to me, there were so many kind of opposites, but also symbioses in the books. It's kind of like a pendulum back and forth. So like kind of Kiki and Claire, obviously very opposite characters and opposite in like physical ways as well. And then um, Kiki and uh, Mrs. Kipps and just even like Carl and Levi, it was kind of everything felt like it had um, its own kind of counterpoint, maybe. Mm. I don't know. So it kind of made sense to me in that way. I feel like I keep banging on about Howard's End, but I did feel like that was one of the elements where I maybe felt like it was um, like if there was a sense of confusion, it's because there needs to be that echo of the the people from the different families connecting and the kind of parallel between the house being left to somebody. And in this, obviously, it's a painting. Um, But I do feel like, again, I'm not sure if I'm just reading way too much into her kind of riffs on Howard's End and I should... I think (laughs) clearly I need to just leave it to one side a bit. (laughs) I'm going to be the Philistine and admit that I haven't actually read Howard's End. So I haven't either. Neither. neither. It's by by Forster, right? Is it the one by Forster? Yeah. I haven't read it for like a really long time, which is maybe Mm -hmm. also part of the issue. And maybe if I'd read it more recently, I would have got less, you know, because it was sort of like a half remembered thing that I was trying to kind of patch over the top of on beauty. And I I think like maybe if I'd read it more recently, I, I sort of was in a kind of halfway position of having like a vague awareness of or an awareness of the story without it being very, very fresh in my head. But I do think that's interesting. And I love books that are <laughs> riffs on other books. And it's one of my favorite kind of niche genres of fiction is things like this. And so I found it super interesting kind of trying to like look at how she was doing that and what I felt worked and what I felt didn't work from that perspective. Was there a particular riff on Howard's End that you found interesting or that stood out the most do you know I feel like for for someone who keeps bringing it up in the conversation I'm so unqualified to comment in the sense that I read it so long ago um because I think for me like it really was just I was I was doing it in such a ham-fisted way of just trying to like overlay like the plot onto the plot of the other book Mm -hmm. and I'm sure there was way more nuanced stuff going on with kind of themes and you know um I was I think I got a bit fixated on like trying to get over like the two plots over each other but I did find it fascinating and I think it's really interesting the way that you know kind of classics can be pulled into more contemporary fiction um and this is this is set in such a different world that I did find it interesting it made me want to go and reread Howard's End having read on beauty I think listening to you has made me want to yeah, read Howard's End for the first time. Oh, good. Okay. I'm glad because I feel like I'm giving very like top level thoughts about it. <laughs> no, I think it's interesting as well because, you know, I always think that as an author, if you want to riff on a very well-established book, that takes a certain amount of bravery because you're basically saying to people, let's compare and contrast. And they are very different books. <laughs> they are. They are very different um, but at the same time, you know, you, I kind of wonder how Zadie Smith set about deciding, you know, the Foster book I'm going to try and update for Contemporary Day is Howard's End. I think she's a huge Foster fan. Is mm. is I'm I think that she is um, a big fan of Foster generally. Um, I'm trying to I feel like there is um, I'm just trying to find that in the acknowledgments she talks about it. Um, uh, which is. Uh, 
Um, it should be obvious from the first line that this is a novel inspired by a love of E.M. Forster, to whom all my fiction is indebted one, one way or another. Uh, this time I wanted to repay the debt with homage, which I thought was interesting. That's, that's, how, that's what she says in her acknowledgments. That's really interesting. It must be one of her favourite Foster books then. You'd have to know it like super well to be able to kind of, of course, not yeah. just rip it off. <laughs> <laughs> so before we move on to our final book, uh, here's Martha Kearney, the journalist and broadcaster and chair of judges in 2006. And she tells us why On Beauty captivated the panel that year. What I'd say is one of its real strengths is the humour. And that can be a feeling for a book to be serious and to be taken seriously it has to be very gloomy and this isn't this is joyous it's it's funny in the way that it gets inside um people's characters and there's it's full of gentle parody if i if i give you an example there's the the youngest son of the um of the belsey family is called levi and he's that classic middle class rebel so he's actually at a private school but he really wants to be a hip-hop star and he talks in street slang even though he lives in this very posh university town. So this is Levi, he's heading off home after work and he looked out at dread at Wellington as it began to manifest itself outside the grimy windows. The pristine white spires of the college seemed to him like the watchtowers of a prison to which he was returning. He sloped towards home, walking up the final hill, listening to his music. The fate of the young man in his headphones, who faced a jail cell that very night did not seem such a world away from his own predicament an anniversary party full of academics <laughs> this podcast is made in partnership with bailey's irish cream bailey's is proudly supporting the women's prize for fiction by helping showcase incredible writing by remarkable women celebrating their accomplishments and getting more of their books into the hands of more people bailey's is a perfect adult treat whether in coffee over ice cream or paired with your favorite book Official announcement, sunshine is coming our way. Celebrate the changing seasons and the sweet taste of spring with a Baileys on ice alongside your favourite shortlisted book. Or if you'd prefer a vegan treat, try Baileys Almond for the delicate taste of almond with a blend of real vanilla. So our final book for today is Home by Marilyn Robinson. So out of our three books, this was the most recent winner in 2009 and Anna, I think you said you'd be able to give our listeners a quick synopsis. So this is the second of a kind of loose trilogy. It's a sort of companion book to Robinson's Gilead um, about the Borton family and Gilead the town. So this book is about Glory, who is one of the Borton siblings who comes home uh, to Gilead after the breakdown of a relationship. Um, And while she's there, her brother Jack also returns, who's the kind of prodigal son um, and the two of them are at, ho- they're at home with their father and it's about them reconnecting, grappling with ideas of family, sort of small town politics and faith. What did you guys make of this book? I know you wanted to start talking about it uh, from the very from the very get go. <laughs> so I think now's the time to let loose. Because this is the book that made me think the most, even though I I did not get on with it. Um, but I thought about it so much it's a book I thought about I kept coming back to it it occupied so much space in my brain while I was reading it and after I read it it really made me interrogate what I respond to I thought that it was such a hugely skilled book um, but I found it so sad and I felt I, I felt like its tagline should be like 
one woman's life is progressively destroyed by a series of like disappointing men and I felt so angry (laughs) like I just felt so angry on Glory's behalf by the end of the book and I know that that's part of like that's in the text but I just I was so cross for her and so sad for her that it kind of overwhelmed me by the end of the book I agree I I definitely agree that's exactly how how I saw it as well I mean it definitely wasn't my favorite but I did it did feel like just watching her being gradually just watching somebody's spirit being broken (laughs) it was kind of yeah it was it was quite difficult I've kind of always um I kind of always been recommended Marilyn Robinson books before and actually like never got around to reading them and I think something that struck me in this but kind of also with the others too and maybe this is quite like a lockdown thought because we're just in houses constantly but like the houses in all of them to me and maybe especially in this seem like kind of their own characters you know mm. and like they, they have their own vibe and home is supposed to be this very um safe good place but it actually for them it's like this kind of fausty dark cluttered and gr- too grand and it's a trap and you know they kind yeah. of they want to escape it but they keep getting pulled back and, so interesting. and the, the house in... at the end where like glory thinks that she maybe she has this like moment of kind of hope where she's like you know she kind of embraces what's going to happen and she thinks but you know she can turn the house into her own home and then she decides that, and then she's like oh but I'm never going to because it would make Jack who's never going to come back again sad and I was just oh, like I know I'm being so like <laughs> simplistic about it but I was just like it broke me a little bit that bit I think mm. like, that she would give up on that because of oh it just again like there's so much skill and I think the fact that I feel so strongly about it demonstrates her skill also I this is a kind of complex thing as well but the the element of faith in the book I I grew up in a hugely religious family and I'm aware that that impacts how I react to to faith in books but I I found it I found it difficult to read from that perspective um Mm. and I know it doesn't sort of it's not saying I don't think it's pro the church or like kind of organized religion but I do think it's pro faith and I have Mm. no fundamental issue with that but as someone who's had quite like traumatic experiences with churches and faith I fa- I mm. did find that I found it difficult to read um that as kind of having that as a foundation of the book but again that's a hugely just a personal thing no I think that makes sense because you know I think in some books like this book for instance you know faith is just taken as almost like a given so it's never mm. quite interrogated in the same in a way you might want it to um and it's just kind of taken as you know the backdrop this is how a regular life in the 50s is like and for me that also felt slightly kind of unsatisfying in some cases the faith just gets in the way as well I just kind of found it frustrating because I just you know I was kind of like forgive Jack he's come back and he's like trying to you know make a change and Mm -hmm. you know like what do you have to lose and then I, I just felt like they kind of kept knocking it back and I was like what does he have to do I know that's kind of like the point of it and you know it was thinking about forgiveness and ideas of like what is forgivable and stuff but yeah I, I found that um just frustrating yeah I basically I'm sorry this is such a like non-critical not like super personal way but I that's... basically hated their father by the end of the book, <laughs> like with a visceral intensity I think that was interesting like the fathers throughout those those three books um which is very personally problematic to me, I think. Um, they don't really see their children. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's hard, isn't it? Because I don't, I, I really struggle to think in literature of a character who is just 
not even a good father but a father who's present <laughs> like it's yeah. not really something that you know is a subject of a lot of literature like the dad mm. the father whereas i feel like mothers get quite a good representation in fiction it's they're not necessarily all good or you know unproblematic depictions but you know at least they're there whereas fathers in mm. literature i'm a bit like oh can't really think of many no i'm yeah i'm, I'm, I'm trying racking my brains yes. right now <laughs> And it's something I'm guilty of in my, I write for children, but it's actually something, I've got a, like a really good granddad, but I'm <laughs> definitely guilty of the same thing as a lot of absent absent dads. <laughs> so you guys spoke about Jack as well, like Jack as a character, whether he's likable or not. What do you, what do you think about him as a character? Do you think he's meant to be, do you think that Marilyn Robinson's kind of trying to make us root for him? I think so. Yeah. Yes. I, I, de- yeah. I definitely think so. I mean, I I definitely found myself empathizing with him, especially in terms of like Della and like how how the family reacts to well, how his father reacts to to that situation and everything. Mm-hmm. I think I think we're supposed to empathize with him. I found him hugely empathetic as a character, kind of by himself, and certainly in relation to his father. I think that the thing that kind of muddied it for me was when you think about him in relation to Glory and. Mm how much of herself and her freedom glory had to sacrifice to support Jack. So whilst I did find Jack, uh, I did find him very empathetic. I was frustrated by his inability to see how he was impacting glory's life and the constant sacrifice that she was being asked to make. Um, And so I think that in relation to different characters I sort of felt very differently towards him mm, yeah. I guess it's like the, the presentation of like goodness because you, you know mm. he's 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 the bad character but in many ways he's much better a person than you know his, his father who's extremely judgmental and so yeah just what is a good person and what does that involve and I think that's why I was so kind of frustrating they wouldn't forgive him and I was like he's clearly like a person who in lots of ways tries really hard and has learned a lot and you know has taken things on board from a life which is like not exactly perfect from a 2020 perspective I do think it's hard to really read Jack as like a bad person isn't it like mm. from from our perspective very little of what he does could be perceived as I think particularly where he is at in the novel, obviously, like you said, you know, he's made a lot of mistakes, but as you say, he sort of really learns and grows and a lot of the things that he's seen as an outcast, well, not a lot of, but, you know, his relationship with Della to us, that is, you know, his, his, is, I wouldn't go as far as admirable. That's not the right word, but that's not difficult for us to kind of empathize with or feel like, Mm. you know, we don't read that as a controversial thing, although you obviously understand the context that the book is in. Mm -hmm. Mm. in the way that his mm. father just reads as like a t- terrible person mm. like I dressed found... up in kind of faux like faux piety I yeah. also found something quite interesting in reading this during the coronavirus lockdown which is you know I know plenty of people who've gone back to their family homes to kind mm. of wait out the pandemic and I it kind of made me wonder if anyone reads this and kind of thinks oh god I'm the jack in my family <laughs> <laughs> It is a, it's such a claustrophobic read, isn't it? It made me feel quite yeah. panicky at times. <laughs> yeah, I felt I felt quite I, I actually as I was reading it, I did feel quite quite drained, I guess. I mean I think even mm. in the language, talking about how, how quiet it seems and I just felt so sad for Glory because it seems mm. like she's just constantly 
sidelined and, and silenced and she has no she's never prioritized in the book once she's always kind of you know yeah i love yeah. the description of it as um what 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 was it like one woman's life ruined by progressively oh. worse men <laughs> yeah, like of... a series of disappointing men <laughs> yeah. new hinge bio definitely which like... is a te- i feel like saying that sentence in response to robinson's writing is uh, sort of bordering on sacrilegious but still that's like that's how i felt about it mm. even, even though it's like set like 50 what 50 years ago when it is yeah, it's 50, 50 years 50, ago. yeah 50 yeah. I don't know, it, the way it sort of taps into for Gloria like a really specific I don't know I kind of associate going home with kind of you kind of failed in some way I just I, I, I really kind of was taken back to like a time when I've had to go back to my parents like after a relationship and kind of being like oh my god what happens now actually mm. can anything happen now what even what is like the next move it was kind of like that claustrophobia speaking of like on beauty as like a riff on how it's end I like I'm suddenly seized with this desire to write like kind of unofficial sequel where Glory is like no way actually I'm off and uh she goes and gets to have this like beautiful independent life where she yeah she sells the house and like goes traveling (laughs) relations yeah I want to read that book well I mean maybe we can just write some fan fiction and imagine that end for her. <laughs> I think I actually do have a bit of a crush on Jack, so maybe I can take that. <laughs> I think that is like maybe a, a lockdown thought. <laughs> I, just, I need like human touch like a lanky 40 year old with like emotional problems. I love it. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you can just cast people in your head for books. Mm. I definitely find that with some of the books that I've been reading for mm. this podcast. And in my head i don't who would you cast for jack oh i have this it's adrian brody oh my god i was gonna say adrian brody too no way <laughs> i had like i had like matthew mcconaughey yeah i think you know just someone with a long sad face yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's kind of all the time we've got to discuss the books. Um, I'm really glad we ended it on that note. Um, Here's our final judge for today's Reading Women episode. This is podcaster, broadcaster and writer Fee Glover, the chair of judges from 2009 on why Marilyn Robinson's home was crowned the winner. Do you know what? It absolutely sailed through onto the long list and it sailed through to the short list on the basis of the exquisite level of writing. So personally, I think Marilyn Robinson is one of the great novelists of all time. And she just writes at a level that just, uh, I don't know, it's just sublime. As soon as you open the book, within the first paragraph, you know you're in incredibly safe hands and they're wise hands and it's just a beautiful reading experience. So I remember when we were doing the judging, you know, we had we were just, you know, we had a table just piled up with books, absolutely piled with books. And I held up home, uh, looked around at the other judges and they all went, yep, and that was it. Because everyone was just like, yes, you know, we'll save some time to talk about it later. But absolutely, this book is going through. She manages to do that thing that great, great writers do, which is to tell you something you already knew but to make it easier to understand. So all of what she writes about is stuff that you will have read about before. Sibling rivalry, uh, you know, a father who loves too much and doesn't love too much, marriages that go wrong, battling with alcoholism. You know, those are, are themes that you can find in loads and loads of books. But Marilyn Robinson will do something. It's like when your camera's slightly out of focus and you just turn it a tiny bit and suddenly you think, oh yeah, no, that's clearer. That's what she manages to do. 
I mean, did any of the books change your opinion or perspective on family or family relationships? Do you think you kind of look at reading in a different way than you did before? I know some of you mentioned that, you know, it's really caused you to interrogate the way you respond to book, different books and why you like certain books and not others. Yeah, I think particularly reading The Robinson, it really made me think about how I can read a book that is undeniably hugely skillful. And on a sentence level, I was frequently blown away by it, but still really not like it. And sort of what's more valuable in reading as well, like, and I think, you know, does it's that, you know, you can like a book and not think it's very good. And equally, you can think a book is excellent and still not like it. And I, mm. I think that that's a really interesting element to reading and, and why we read. And that I think both of those are really, really valid kind of perspectives to come at fiction from. Which book do you think you'll remember from this experiment of reading three books on <laughs> a single theme? Um, I mean, I don't think I'll ever probably be able to get we need to talk about Kevin out of yeah. my head for the rest <laughs> of my life <laughs> probably that one just because it was yeah it was it, it was a, a shocking um a shocking read but you know I think I was gripped by it I will say that I was gripped by it throughout Sophie I think I will remember all of them I don't know I think for, sorry that's a bit of a cop-out answer but I think they're all just so distinct and also in terms of like from a craft perspective I just I I found the writing in all of them just incredibly good at what I was doing and I found that very admirable as someone who writes books and you know just kind of thinking about what actually makes what what is good writing I think in, in all the ways their writing is like really exceptional even if I didn't personally get on with um, all of them that much like I could kind of really admire them for what they're doing if that makes sense on mm. a kind of technical on a technical level and mm. especially like the Zadie Smith and Marilyn Robinson yeah I, I basically I had a, I just again agreeing with Sophie I, I found them all super in, even though I don't think any of them are going to be favorite books of mine I found them all super interesting I'm glad that I have read them especially on beauty and home and even though I didn't like home I really do think it's a book that will stay with me for a long time and I it's one of those ones that I read it and I immediately wanted to talk to people who'd read it about why they liked it or why they didn't like it I found it fascinating I'm Zing Singh and you've been listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast brought to you by Baileys and produced by Birdline Media now, you definitely want to head over to our website to find out more about the Reading Women Challenge, get exclusive video and audio content, and check out the hashtag Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter to join in the conversation around the 24 brilliant past winners of the Women's Prize for Fiction. Now, you can get hold of all the books we've talked about in today's episode and all of the Women's Prize winning novels we've discussed so far on the podcast by going to waterstones.com. We even have a very special discount for you. You can enter the code WPF25 at checkout to get 25% off each of the winning books. Please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review this podcast. It really helps spread the word about all the female talent you've heard about today. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time. Listener.